0: Tomorrow,
1: without constraints, ideas, people, technology, and literature, thinking, defining tomorrow, without the Yonder Podcast.
0: Well, welcome everyone to episode three of the Yonder Podcast on the day that is Monday the 7th of October. Uh, my name is Peter Jones, Chief Development Officer here at Yonder. Um, some of the team and I have just about over our jet lag from a few weeks on the road in Asia and the US. Uh, last week was a particular highlight as uh, Yonder confirmed our status as foundation partner of the Infrastructure Masons. And we were delighted to be part of a diversity inclusion dinner in San Jose, which not only had 50-50 male-to-female representation. It also raised $92,000 for the iMasons uh, Scholarship Fund, and uh, we were pleased to be able to be a significant part uh, of that total sum. Meanwhile, in Europe, uh, on Friday, Yonner hosted a Women in Tech event um, in London, uh, at which Pip Hare delivered an inspiring tale of her path to the Vendee Globe race in 2020 and for those of you who don't know what the Vendee Globe is it's a single-handed yacht race around the world and is affectionately known as the Everest of the Seas. Um, Yonder is uh, part of the business syndicate for Pip's campaign and we're going to be rooting for her as she prepares for the toughest race in the world. So find out more uh, if you would like at piphairoceanracing.com Now back to business. Have you ever wondered or did you even know you cared about the profession of quantity surveying? Well, when we were in San Francisco, we managed to catch up with Gavin Flynn of Linesight to get the bottom of some of the questions that some of us were always afraid to ask. Okay, so pleased to be joined by uh, Gavin Flynn from uh, Linesight. Uh, We're here at their offices today uh, in the Bay Area in, in San Francisco. So straight away, Gavin, maybe you can uh, tell us uh, about what your role is in Linesight.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, cheers, Pete. So my role, um, I'm a program director um, based out of our San Francisco office, as you said, uh, working mainly in the D.C. side, so kind of technology sector um, across the U.S. And for one of our key clients, I'd be our U.S. account lead.
0: And, and tell us a bit more about Linesight uh, in general. The artist formerly known as... Bruce Bruce Shaw. Shaw.
1: yeah that's that's the one yeah
0: and uh, so what typically what, what what are the offerings that you're that you're kind of delivering out of out of this office and you know specific to North America out of, out of your crew
1: yeah for sure yeah so our, our, I suppose our key skill sets that we work on is cost management schedule management project management and then within that we kind of look at the kind of more holistic project controls which kind of aligns quite well with uh, the us market um some of the other areas that we do work in we do uh, kind of some business analyst pieces around automation initiatives within the industry, data analysts, financial analysts. But our core skill sets will be around cost,
0: schedule, and project management. And how many how many heads do you have then across North America? Uh, today?
1: So it's about 130 across the US. Mm. Um, our, our two core um, uh, offices will be in New York and San Francisco. But then we're working on site with some clients kind of throughout the US. So, yeah, about 130.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned cost management then, I suppose. I can't mention cost management without talking about quantity surveyors. Put this issue to bed once and for all. (laughs) What is a quantity surveyor, (laughs) and what do they do?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I get asked this a lot, including by my wife, who's American.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: But, yeah, so I suppose quantity surveying, um, it is, I suppose, something that you'd see quite a lot in in the UK and Ireland. And uh, It it is a college degree. It's It's a Bachelor of Science degree, and you're really looking at the... Uh, the cost from you know real early days in a project to right to final account close and you know within that you're talking you know early estimating quantifying um, kind of the project and associated costs going right up to contract management procurement on-site cost management looking at cost reporting cash flow etc and then you know kind of close out the project uh, you know with all your with all the different vendors and and really, providing I suppose that independent uh, third-party view between the client and the GC, yeah, um, and and trying to I suppose ensure value for money for
0: the client. So you'll have a QS maybe let's say in the design phase, like kind of helping steer, make informed design choices for the for the cost plan at the start mm-hmm. to know what the clients get themselves into, yeah, and then you shift gears and have people kind of on site as needed and so sort on, of making sure that the cost plan that you started with is actually being lived out. Is that kind of the...
1: Yeah, and I suppose that's our ideal um, state. Yeah. You know, like, depending on the client, they'll ask us to come in at different stages through a project. But, you know, our, our best service can be provided if we come in early and we're, you know, we'd be, with some of our clients, involved in design reviews and design stages. So, you know, as the as the design team and engineering team are looking at different uh, different ideas, we can be kind of providing pretty... You know, on the spot, um, you know, rough order magnitude costing yeah. on what those impacts will be purely on a capex side, um, and then working with that, as you said, developing the cost plans and estimates, um, and then yeah, like when it comes to the the construction start, like it is that switch over to yeah. you know we know the detail of what's in our estimates and it, it's managing that through procurement, yeah, um, because you know if we're if we're coming in after all that's completed, you know there's there's a whole effort to try and understand I suppose yeah. what's come before. Um,
0: and then for clients, I guess as well, the, the notion of actually having a, keeping everyone honest in real time to make sure that you don't store up a load of problems at the end that you then try and unpick. them I mean, that must be a bit it, of it as well. Yeah,
1: for, for sure. And like, you know, in reality, risk management starts from from yeah. the very beginning of the project. And, you know, you, you need to be tracking them items and looking to mitigate as early as possible because, you know, as, as you know, as you go through a project, your ability to mitigate a risk is, is nullified yeah. or, or certainly reduced. So really getting that, Getting that independent voice again to, to speak to the client about these potential issues and dealing with them up front is, is the ideal case.
0: And um, what would you, so, you know, none, none of these services come for free. I mean, what would you what would you kind of typically say is, you know, if, if your fee is X, you know, what, what would you like, What the, what is the value proposition about what you'd like to be returning or saving for the for the client, like, yeah, like real ballpark? You know, if,
1: if we're to look at our, our kind of average metrics in the US, like we'd be looking to cover our fee 6 to eight times, so Jeez, and okay. and, yeah. and that is quite quite common in what we do, especially you know, like I said earlier, if we're involved from early stages um, of estimating procurement with the with the GC as well as the subcontractors, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of early um, savings that we can make yeah. there, as well as then through the change management process. So yeah, like six to eight times our fee would be would be standard for what mm. we see in the
0: US. And I suppose what we're touching on a little bit here is that is that they... The, the phenomenon of qs led kind of cost management is is a bit of a new one in, in North America or certainly fairly nascent yeah. I mean are, are there challenges to to trying to kind of persuade everyone that, that, yeah. that it's a good thing to be doing I mean I guess that's on the GC side on the client side on the yeah. design side what you know what 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 typically are the are the to, in a roundabout way, kind of say, what 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 are accusations are you typically having to defend yourselves against? Yeah,
1: you know, like yeah, that that is definitely the case, and you know, it, it's with it being a new thing here, it's new for GCs and and they're learning how to uh, how to deal with us on a day to day basis. You know, whereas in the more mature QS markets and say the uh, US or sorry, in the UK and Australia and, and Ireland. You know, the GCs are used to it and they'll have their own quantity surveyors that are yeah. kind of uh, managing the project from the G C side. You don't see that over here, so you know, we have to we often get it would get accused of delaying a project, you know, because we're we're asking questions and we're doing due yeah. diligence on be it change orders or 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 RFPs. But you know, a lot of, a lot of what we find is it, it's communication as well. Like we have to understand as QSs and as a company that the GCs aren't used to dealing with us. Yeah. And we need to work with them to understand what our role is, how working with us, it's not about, you know, trying to cut them down to the lowest number. Yeah, it's yeah. what's fair and reasonable. And yeah. you know, and like we we drill that into our teams that, you know, the QS should never be in the way of progress. Yeah. We should be working alongside them and just making sure what's fair and reasonable yeah, is seen. So it, I, I suppose on, on the GC side that's what we have to work yeah, with. Yeah. On the client side, I suppose like, you know, if we're to take a step back and see that Projects get built. Before there was QSs here, there's still buildings yeah. been built. So we can't say that we, we you know, make it, make a change in whether a project is built or not. But what what we're trying to do is both let the PM focus more time on execution. Yeah. Um, because at the minute, oftentimes the PM has to do the costs, the contracts, management, the yeah, procurement, yeah. and manage your projects. Um, and we take that little piece off them mm. and, and look at a detailed analysis of that. And... Uh, it lets them focus on what they need to focus on, and it also um, gives gives i suppose a surety to the client yeah. that they 're getting a fair value for um, for the project they 're building and We hope as well that like we'll mitigate as I said some of them yeah. risks so that less chance of claims less chance of kind of issues in closing the project out, and you know that that 's where we kind of sit in that yeah. niche
0: between the two and suppose so almost a sense of you know you remove the burden of 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 the spending hours in the spreadsheets and so on to mm. allow others to play to their strengths and not be burdened by it. it kind it, of, you know, yeah. it's a it's a releasing people to 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 fulfil their real potential. Like let the PM run the execution and not get bogged down in the fifty tab spreadsheet, which yeah. you know don't really want to be doing anyway.
1: It, exactly, and like you know, oftentimes, um, you know, these things are are not. I suppose there's not a big focus put on some of the um, the cost element until there's a problem. Yeah. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, there will be some degree of an issue at some stage in a project—be uh, it budgetary, be it um, you know extension of time, etc.—and you don't want to at that point be then looking at, oh, we probably should have been more detailed around the cost yeah. earlier. So, to your exact point, like the, the PM's strength is in organisation around the project, delivering that project on time, yeah. on budget. But that's a very broad spectrum, yeah, and yeah. like by by. Us being a, a kind of a, an arm of the PM to support them in terms of knowing where the project are, where the risks are, and been able to s- speak to them before it, it becomes yeah. a, a much larger issue.
0: So I think what, what you're hitting on there as well is, that I guess, the sense that that um, schedule and cost are, from your view of the world, implicitly coupled and by design mm-hmm. do, you, do you do schedule management as well in terms of uh, what is this, some of the terminology here cost loaded schedules and this kind of yeah, thing
1: cost loaded schedules are in value management um, and you know a lot of the uh, it, you know the scheduling side is becoming more and more mature and we are looking to move along with that and provide that as a service offering globally yeah. um, right now And uh, but you're, you're 100% right like you know the, the two are intrinsically linked like yeah. the, if if schedule pushes out there will be a cost impact and like you know a lot of impacts and um, you know you get 20 change orders there's likely going to be a schedule impact behind that because yeah. if all this additional scope needs to be done you can only squeeze so much into into that box until yeah. something breaks and um so like we really feel that like and i suppose the whole project controls mantra and that kind of cost and schedule interlinked uh is is a good way of looking at things yeah. because you know, you can't
0: silo these areas. You can't silo yeah. execution
1: from cost and schedule, or else, or them from each other, because you're missing the trick. And
0: yeah, and I guess you're. you're I guess you're trying to manage clients' expectations as well, right? I suppose the what hopefully we're over the days of hey, can you just make these ten change orders happen? Don't tell me there's any change to the schedule. Yeah, yeah, I'll pay the numbers, but like, you know, the, the denial of reality. I mean, hopefully we're saying actually. The, 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 if we properly interlink cost and schedule mm. then and you scientifically derive the effect there 's none of this oh we 'll take a flyer on it, it'll be fine, and we'll just incorporate it, and the yeah. end date won't change kind of yeah, a thing. yeah
1: exactly because as I said like you know we'll, we'll often like some of the central work that we do around kind of cash flow um, management and and reporting you know we 'll we'll spot outliers so like if if you 're looking at your expected cost has jumped up by ten percent in a month, but your your scheduled date is still planned to stay where it was the reality is you're probably missing something there yeah. you, you need to be you need to be experienced enough to see that that that's there but if if your job is is so spread thin that you're doing cost schedule yeah. and execution you're not going to be able to dig into the detail to understand yeah, that yeah, or yeah. to see that so you know it, it really is kind of looking at um you know looking at that element of it and, and making sure that there's not something that's kind of just falling between yeah, uh, yeah. two stools and you know that we're we're thinking we can keep try, ah, put a few changes in, put a few changes yeah. in, but we're not thinking of the risks that are out there. Yeah. That if they hit, then we're we're blowing our budget or we're we're blowing our time. I'm away. presuming
0: there's a certain amount of expert judgment there that, that you rely on on your people. Like, is that? I'm guessing that's one of the real differences between a good QS and a bad one. Is like good, yeah. fair, timely judgment yeah. on on kind of all the all the aspects they're working on.
1: And that's it. And like you know, training is so important. Like yeah. you know, we we have to be training our. Teams regionally as well. Like we have our kind of standard, how you know standard operating procedures that we have globally. But you know you have to look at the region you're in, and like yeah. you you have to train your staff on how to communicate with their teams, what to spot, what not to spot, and really having that tiered structure where you can have you know a, a you know the buddy system that we have when people come yeah. in. Of like you have someone that you go to when you have a question, you go to when there's an issue, and you know if you keep feeding that down you just have this kind of conveyor belt of people coming up and having that same mantra around what they yeah. do but like what we we also look to incorporate you know as i said kind of different skill sets and different um and different softwares within like you know looking at risk management and kind of taking you know your quantitative risk assessments using monte carlo scenarios to kind of see you know realistically at, at what probability level yeah. do we want to be and then we're bringing in financial analysts we're bringing in data analysts to look at it on a purely data-driven yeah. uh, piece and to see what uh, trends there is, see what um, they can bring up. So I, I think, you know, taking your core QS skill sets and adding some of these other pieces yeah, yeah. in, you know, you get a much more robust service in terms of what... And
0: and am I right? Into, so it's a chartered profession, is that right?
1: Chartered profession,
0: yeah. Which I, means that there are certain codes and, and governance that... that if you're doing nothing else, you have to abide by? Is that it, the... Exactly, how yeah. ...how work?
1: Yeah, so the, the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, and they have an arm in, in North America. Um, and, yeah, so you have your kind of codes of conduct uh, that, you know, I suppose every QS will look to follow. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a real thing that we encourage within the business here. Um, you know, we have... I think we have six from our San Francisco office that are, are submitting now in the round that's this week. Um, we have another three or four that are looking to um, mm. go into the one that's, uh, I think, February
0: next year. Um, it's no mean feat getting these charterships. things. It's a, no, quite like, a thorough uh, affair, isn't it? Yeah,
1: that, it's right? a two year diary of, of your experience. Then you have to display, you know, they, they do, in fairness to the RCS, they do a really good um, kind of leveling of competencies. And you're looking mm. at, you know, level one is understanding, level two is doing, and level three is advising. Yeah. And, and it's a great way of kind of, and you know, even in our internal. Um, competency framework. We try to look at it the same yeah, way because yeah. you know you you know where you need to be at different levels of um, the
0: business. Well, I suppose what I, what I'm kind of taking from that as well is you can't be a, you you can't be a chartered QS by being book smart, which I suppose is no. exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly the desired outcome. Yeah, and, <laughs> and,
1: and, and that's that's the thing. Like, because even within some of them competencies, it's client care, it's communication, yeah. it's negotiation, and you know they're soft skills. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and like you know we have. Uh, programs here around emerging leaders and and kind of doing your emotional intelligence questionnaires to try and understand people's skill sets and and where do we need to focus training on um, with people because you know a a completely book smart QS is going to struggle managing clients and managing um, thing or the the alternative like you still need to have the technical background you still need to understand um, the core requirements behind it so it really does have that kind of uh, split appeal um mm. and and kind of you know to your point like the the top qs's out there are very able to to be technical when they need to be and have that um diligence but also you know build relationships client care etc yeah
0: and just curious uh, on on so you know as far as talk, talking about north america generally and from a trend perspective i suppose we know that the trend of you know when you look at the chart of demand is up and to the right, and you know depending on what you believe, how many multiples yeah. uh, you know of, of uh, embedded capacity we 're going to be looking at in mm-hmm. i don 't know five years in, in terms of megawatts yeah what does the chart look like for um, unit costs or or some targets on 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 data center construction costs
1: yeah and like obviously you know like within all this like as a company confidentiality being massive yeah. but like on, on kind of average trends like we like we do see that uh, the kind of cost per watt, cost per megawatt, is kind of trending down on yeah. an average, and that's on your kind of hyperscale tier one, tier two. Um, and I, I, you know, I think there's a lot to that. Obviously, you know, um, design standards and kind of engineering yeah. um, ideas um, are, are a massive part of that. But I, I also, one of the big trends that we see in a in a delivery standpoint, I suppose, is that you you have. Um, the engineering groups of these clients that are working with the project controls groups from day one and and understanding you know going through value engineering exercises and understanding what the impacts are of these tech insertions that yeah and you know and looking at the total cost of ownership, like seeing whether it is actually beneficial kind of yeah. beyond the initial capex cost
0: do you think that that i mean I suppose it sounds like you know I guess you know some of some of these terms that, that would be thrown around, I think we as an industry were we' we're, we're pretty bad at really taking lessons learned and, and making sure that we weren't repeating failures of the past. But, I mean, I suppose it sounds to me like that for this trend, to, I mean, you, you, you are seeing the, these real data sets which are showing the triangle down. I mean, it sounds like there is continuous improvement, which is being effective. Yep. Which sounds like a healthy kind of maturing of our sector.
1: It, and, and that's exactly what I was going to hit on. Like, you know, there's a maturing of the sector amongst all sites. You know, yeah. the the engineering and AE groups that are being used are are, are coming up with more ideas cuz they're more mature the gcs like that this is a big one like you know we we go into a new region with a client and you see the learning curve for these gcs and like you almost have to accept a percentage increase cost yeah. and it's not cuz the gcs aren't capable it's because they're not used to working yeah. on data center projects or they don't have people with that core skill set at, at that time and you know you take a great example of, of North America East, you know, mm. probably the most mature DC sector yeah. um, in America and the GCs know the stuff inside out. The, the electrical contractors, you know, they have so many skilled mm. uh, trades uh, people that that understand what they need to do and, and it's such a stable um, cost base. Well, you don't see the outliers. You see yeah, yeah. that kind of standard downward trend without those kind of massive outliers of mm. projects that seem to fall apart. So I think if you have your AEs, your clients, your GCs, tradespeople, and your your consultants all used to the sector, it's all starting to come together to just generally more efficiency.
0: Well, I suppose I mean I guess our our work will never be done, but you know those you know having some real data that says that the ecosystem is is maturing is got to be is got to be something we can all be a little bit pleased about. For sure, yeah. Um, I'm just keeping an eye on the time, so I'm going to spring this one on you. Any, any particular buzzwords in the sector that you've seen appearing uh, in, in 2019? Any, any new data center lingo that we should be aware of?
1: <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it, I suppose the acronyms are always something that's uh, tough to keep <laughs> up with at the best of times. But I think you know, more so than any kind of specific lingo, I, I think like, one of the big things you know, is machine learning and, and AI and, yeah. and where that's going. And I suppose like when we look at the sector, you know, there's so many curves that you could base off that. And, and, you know, if it goes to where it could go, it's a hockey stick. And, you know, the, the, you know, we're going to come to a place where, where do we put the data centers? And then, you know, you're looking at, is it underwater? Is it, you know, where, where are we going to here? Because the, the demand is such, if that area goes to where it could go that you're not going to have enough space within these core hubs to, to build yeah. the data centers. As,
0: as in, it can't be just a linear extrapolation of the means and methods and ideas that we yeah. have today. Some, you know, some, some seriously radical.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. you you know, the ability to to even power them. You know, yeah. like it, 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 we need to we need to look at it differently. And I think people are we're hearing about sustainability, but I think sustainability is one piece. But it's just, you know, we need to look at whether what we're looking at in five years, as you said. How, how do we get there? Like, yeah. you know, we need to look at that now or else we're going to get to a point where we're going to tie ourselves up um, yeah. in a few years in just be that power, be that land, et cetera. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, we even, you know, even ju- in terms of us developing our some of our hyperscale product and yonder, I mean, we had a bit of a sense of anxiety, I think, at first about saying, right, throw everything in the bin, start from first principles, the end is this. Yeah. And so the means be those design, construction methods, all that, Let's just start from the blank sheet, mm-hmm. and that created a lot of nervousness because you yeah. get to same. But no, but you know, we know how we did it in this job. We know how it, it. was. We'll okay, we'll forget about it for a second. Yeah. If we're really trying to get this construction time down to eleven months, thirteen months, whatever it needs to be, then we don't just do what we did before. Yeah. The 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 end of that of that goal and particular and with cost will justify the means of how we design it. Exactly. And you know that that kind of designing meaningfully mm-hmm. uh, with the outcome in mind, I think is is I, I suppose what I'm trying to say is I. I felt uncomfortable with taking out blank sheets of paper, but I think we as an industry should be should be totally feeling free to be as radical thinking as we yeah. possibly can.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I think you know, with the technology sector in it being what it is, you know, it is that not to coin a cliche, but if you're if you're not going forward, you're going backwards. Like, yeah. and you you can't just think that what we did two three years ago will keep working. The good thing is, from what we see there's not many of, the kind of our key clients that are doing that. Yeah. You know, we're, what we're looking to do is how do we align to their kind of uh, forward thinking and how can we give them better data, quicker, faster, yeah. visually um, better. And you know, I think all of us need to keep, keep that in mind of just what you said. Yeah. Sometimes you have to reset, start from scratch, and and how do we how do we move forward?
0: So the only other innovation that you need to solve for now is the QS cloning machine, so you can um, <laughs> staff up uh, really globally. Yeah,
1: how? yeah, like it is. You know, like we're we're probably about six hundred strong globally, um, but yeah, it's very difficult to get people. And you know, it's um, we're we're looking internally. We're we're tied in with a lot of the um, the big universities. Um, especially on the east and west coast, uh, Cal Poly, um, uh, in New York. We're working over um, with a couple of the universities there too, and trying to bring in interns and trying to grow the industry here because it's not here yet. It's not a college yeah. course.
0: So if people are interested. Like, like, just just look at your website. Get yep. in touch. So, that kind of a thing. Yep,
1: linesite.com. It'll bring them to kind of what we're doing um, here in the uh, in the US, and always get in contact. You know, either myself, um, Gavin Flynn. You, Find me up there as well or or anyone else. Like we're just looking for good people. We're just looking for people interested to learn, you know, got a good kind of uh way about them and yeah, always looking for good people.
0: Well if that wasn't a call to action, I don't know what was. (laughs) Well here, thanks, Gavin. We'll leave it there and uh talk to you next time. Cheers, thanks Pete. Bye bye.
1: The younger podcast.
0: Well, that pretty much wraps up this episode of The Under Podcast. Uh, Looking forward to the next one where we're going to be focusing the content around World Mental Health Day, which is the 10th of October. So keep your eyes peeled for that podcast coming out and you'll hear from us then. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Without. constraint. Ideas.